0: Hello friends and welcome to my Unorthodoxy podcast. My name is Duncan Rayburn and as you will notice by the title of this episode, I'm interrupting the Genesis of Meaning series to bring you a mini-series of sorts on understanding creativity and creative thinking. This is, to be honest, a case of killing two vultures with one boulder since the COVID-19 pandemic continues and has once again made balancing life and work harder than usual. Since I've been preparing for some classes I'm giving on creativity and creative thinking, I thought it best to give some of those classes and share some of that content with you at the same time. That way, I would not need to leave you in the lurch or run myself into the ground. Thanks ahead of time for understanding. I do think this stuff may be helpful to you, no matter what your interests may be. My focus here is on creativity and communication, but I think this stuff can be applied beyond that. Let's start, shall we, with a thought taken from an animated movie that I hope you have all seen. The wonderful Pixar film Ratatouille offers a story of a rat who adheres to a philosophy espoused by the fictional chef Auguste Gusteau, which claims that anyone can cook. One food critic in the story named Anton Ego, very appropriately, thinks this idea is completely ridiculous. Obviously, not everyone can cook. Later in the movie, though, the same critic revises his original assessment after learning that a rat has been doing some cooking, and cooking rather well. Anton Ego says the following, In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusteau's famous motto, Anyone can cook, but I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. Well, I like this revised idea as it applies to all creativity. Anyone can be creative. In fact, I think everyone is naturally creative. Creativity is a natural feature of human cognition. This doesn't mean, though, that everyone is going to be great as a creative or that all people are equal when it comes to producing creative work. Rather, it means that creativity is a capacity that can be nurtured and developed. Hopefully, those who have the capacity to improve their creative abilities do, while those who have the capacity to genuinely excel also do. Well, here I want to present some ideas around understanding creativity. I think everyone who is interested in communicating using creative means, verbal, visual, musical, and so on, should take the trouble to understand the nature of creativity, because doing so can be a helpful foundation for actually developing creativity. So, for starters, I simply want to answer the question of what creativity is about. Answering this question opens a way for understanding why we ought to bother with creativity in the first place. Well, here is a very simple observation about what we might call the opposite of creativity, namely the idea of a cliché. A cliché is just a thought that is overused and it betrays a lack of original consideration. Why do clichés arise? Well, part of the answer is found in how we learn. At first, before we have attempted to do anything, we are typically unconsciously incompetent. In other words, we might be quite oblivious to the fact that we are, in fact, incompetent. We see this mostly in small children. A small child hammering away at a piano noisily thinks she is producing the most beautiful music, even though the grown ups in the room know that this display of cuteness is also a display of ignorance. Soon, though, Unconscious incompetence gives way to conscious incompetence. At some point, the kid realizes that, wow, this sound is really not good. It is actually intolerable. She expresses to her parents the desire to then learn how to play that piano. As she progresses, conscious incompetence gives way to conscious competence. Oh, look, the kid might think, when I play these notes, I am in fact making music even if it is just a very simple piece like Mary Had a Little Lamb. It's not amazing, but it is an improvement on what was happening before. Eventually, at the highest level, as learning progresses, we then get to unconscious competence. By this time, the mind has adapted itself so well to the skill of, in this case, playing the piano, that amazing sounds can arise almost without the musician's awareness There is a level of decision-making at play, of course, but it is so rapid that it hardly feels to the expert like deciding is happening at all. The point is, as we learn, things get easier, and this has tremendous utility. It means, for instance, smoothly functioning in the world. It means doing tasks quickly and easily without a second thought. Most of life, for those of us who have grown up, is a matter of unconscious competence, As I go and buy groceries, for example, I don't have to learn how to drive to get there or how to count money or how to read food labels or how to navigate that bizarrely overloaded visual world of inputs under bright lights. I don't have to learn how to be polite to the people around me in the supermarket either. At one point I had to learn all of those things. We all did, I am assuming. Yet now it is all very easy. Buying groceries is a cinch. The mind adapts and as it adapts, daily tasks become run-of-the-mill ordinary things. We become, in essence, habituated to the world we live in. Habituation means, more or less, that the unfamiliar becomes familiar and the familiar becomes unconscious. Habits are, by nature, very easy. Habits are not just habits of the body, of course, but habits of thought. Just as at one time it was difficult for all of us to utter long sentences like this one, now it is easy. I don't have to consciously consider every word that comes to mind. I think of what I want to say, and then I just say it. This is a really good thing most of the time, but it does often result in what is technically known as the principle of least effort. Basically, all of us, wherever possible, tend to pick the path of least resistance. It is not uncommon for us to want to find a way to a make things easier as in finding a shortcut or b avoiding difficulties completely as happens often with something like procrastination. Conscious incompetence and conscious competence are both tricky. They require some effort. They are sandwiched between unconscious incompetence and unconscious competence. Thus, on the whole, we tend to opt for unconscious modes of thinking. Most of us are, most of the time, unconscious. That is a weird thing to think about. This is what cliches allow for. Cliches are commonplace heuristics. They are mental shortcuts that help us to avoid the troublesome task of thinking too intensely about things. Cliches allow us to trust our intuitions rather than conscious critical engagement, They allow us to roll with things. Daniel Kahneman talks about two modes of thinking in a famous book of his, Fast Thinking and Slow Thinking. Fast thinking is intuitive and easy. Slow thinking is, on the whole, unintuitive and difficult. Generally, we prefer fast thinking, despite the fact that it often lacks accuracy. The writer G.K. Chesterton explains that this preference for the intuitive is actually how we come to forget the very world we are living in. This is the great fall, Chesterton writes, the fall by which the fish forgets the sea, the ox forgets the meadow, the clerk forgets the city, every man forgets his environment and in the fullest and most literal sense forgets himself. As suggested so poetically by Chesterton here, the cliché amounts to emptying anything of meaning because it simply confirms our natural intuitions and prejudices, and so it causes us to overlook the nature and even the value of things. In a way, familiarity does breed contempt. To take the world for granted is almost as good as judging the world wrongly. So here's my theory – I think we often feel the problem of the overly familiar. We feel, at least on some level, that it isn't right that we have gotten to the point of forgetting the very world we live in. We feel a deep need to recover the reality we have lost touch with by being too in touch with it. Unfortunately, since we become too accustomed to our habitual ways of seeing, we often resort to using cliches to try and access our world's. On some level, this may convince us that we have access to the world. I'd allow that on some level, this does allow us access to the world. But what cliches show us, ultimately, is what we already know and accept. As a result, they prevent us from the joy and the wonder of discovering a new angle on things, a new perspective that we haven't considered, a deep understanding hidden from us by the overly familiar. So... This is where creativity really comes in. We often feel a need to step beyond cliches and so we look for some kind of novelty. This is why we watch series and movies and read novels and non-fiction and why we are strangely attracted to what is interesting in the news and compelled to pay attention to what is controversial on social media. Hot takes and clickbait draw our attention more than cliches do. The new is what allows us the sensation of re-engaging with the world. But let's pause here for a moment to consider the relationship between novelty and creativity. Most definitions of creativity have it that novelty is its primary function. This would certainly be a way to disrupt the unsurprising, the predictable, the stereotypical, the cliched and the like. But it is by no means what creativity is fundamentally about. The obsession with mere novelty can become, I think, rather boring and uncreative. The critical theorist Boris Groys in his book On the New has this to say, and I think it's really helpful for understanding what creativity really is about. He says, innovation does not consist in the emergence of something previously hidden, but in the fact that the value of something always already seen and known is revalued the new is more valuable than the merely different it lays claim to social significance and aspires to being the truth of its time every innovation results from a new interpretation a new contextualization or decontextualization of a cultural attitude or act this is very insightful Creativity is not just about novelty, but about rediscovering and renewing meaning. What makes something creative is not just that it is appealing, but that it has a definite advantage over existing or accepted ideas, whether real or perceived. It deals with a problem in a way that helps us to reconceptualize it. Arguably, creativity without a problem to solve isn't really worthy of the name Creativity. Creativity includes, as Groy suggests using a Nietzschean idea, a revaluation of values. In other words, it is about reassessing and reconsidering the value of things. This means including the familiar and even the cliched, but also renewing it. Creativity is an act of appreciation. It is an act of gratitude and not just an act of rebellion. A good example of this is found in Duchamp's famous ready-made sculpture, which he called The Fountain. Yes, it does have overtones of rebellion, but it is not just about that. It is funny too, and it is not nearly as disrespectful as it may at first seem to be. As you will know, Duchamp cheekily placed a urinal he didn't make upside down in an art exhibition and then signed it with the name R. Mutt, so not his name. At every level, the work is a revaluation of values. What values are being thrown into question? Well, the nature of art, for starters, as well as the position of the artist as creator. The function of art exhibitions and galleries is also questioned, as well as the artistic characteristics of everyday objects. In many ways, nothing about what Duchamp put on display was new, and yet it generated a renewed perception. It was about renewal. Duchamp's Fountain involves contention, questioning, challenging and reframing. It addresses art not just at the level of an idea, but at the level of an entire value system, the entire value system around it. The radically new and radically creative does not seek to necessarily uproot or destroy what is valuable, but it tries to get us to rethink its place. So again, creativity is not just about novelty, but about values. This will have some value for what I discuss in the podcast that follows this one. Let's look at another common myth about creativity, which is that it has to do with breaking boundaries. Creativity is often thought of as this boundless thing about infinite possibilities, about having no rules. Well, As should be clear by now in some way, this must be wrong in an important sense. If anything, creativity seems more aware of edges and boundaries. It may change and challenge some of those boundaries, but it is not going to throw all of them out. I'd say that creativity thrives on resistance, which is only possible with boundaries The motto for the creative person shouldn't be, as it perhaps normally is, the obstacle is in the way, but rather the obstacle is the way. One way to be creative is to find a problem, and especially a paradox, and then find a way through it. The cliche goes that creativity is thinking outside the box, which suggests the idea of transcending all resistances and boundaries. But creativity, again, is driven by boundaries. Creativity is thinking inside the box, but with a heightened awareness of precisely what that box means. As Chesterton writes, art-like morality consists of drawing the line somewhere. Elsewhere, he writes, All my life I have loved edges and a boundary line that brings one thing sharply against another. All my life I have loved frames and limits and I will maintain that the largest wilderness looks larger seen through a window. Art is limitation. The essence of every picture is the frame. If you draw a giraffe, you must draw him with a long neck. If you, in your bold, creative way, want to hold yourself free to draw a giraffe with a short neck, you will really find that you are not free to draw a giraffe. In other words, creativity understands the meaning and value attached to the given, to the boundaries, but it also understands how to communicate that meaning. It is not enough then to merely subvert everything. Duchamp's Fountain seems to do this, but in fact it thrives because it functions within the frame of the art world and the art exhibition space. It challenges some values, but not all of them subversion serves a larger role namely the revaluation of values this suggests that the foundation of creativity is not novelty but insight and that is what i would like to talk about in the next episode